22, Jeremiah chapter 22. And tonight, in this chapter, Jeremiah, uh, the Lord through Jeremiah, has a message for Judah's kings. This chapter probably has the harshest judgment spoken in all of the Bible. It's harsher than the judgment that God pronounced on Cain or Jesus pronounced that judgment on Judas. You know, it's, it's an eye-opener. Uh, it, it should make you think. Uh, but at the same time, it's one of the most amazing prophecies in the Bible. And before we look at the judgment against Coniah, uh, who's mentioned in verse 24, who's also known as Jeconiah and Jehoiachin. So there's a lot of names there. There's four of them, but they all have you know, second and third names. So Coniah, uh, he's known as Jeconiah and Jehoiachin. There's uh, first the judgment against Coniah's father, Jehoiakim. He was also an evil ruler, but at least during the time he was king, there was prosperity. The rich were getting richer and the poor were being trampled underfoot. The Bible has a lot to say about the poor. God cares very much for the poor. And God pays a lot of attention to the poor. He watches out for them. He takes care of them. And we see it both in the Old and the New Testament. In Psalm 918, uh, read from the New Living Translation, it says this, But the needy will not be ignored forever. The hopes of the poor will not always be crushed. Uh, In Psalm 40, verse 17, it says, But I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinks upon me. You are my help and my deliverer. In Psalm 68, 10, it says, You, O God, provided from your goodness for the poor. Deuteronomy 15, 11, For the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore, I command you, saying, You shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your people, and your needy in the land. Godly King Josiah reigned for 31 years, and he tried to lead the people back to God. But the last four kings of Judah were wicked men, even though three of them were Josiah's sons, and one was his grandson, Jehoiachin. Shalom, also mentioned here uh, in our chapter, is also called Jehoahaz. And he succeeded Josiah, and he reigned for only three months. Pharaoh Necho banished Shalem to Egypt, where he died there. Jehoiakim, also called Eliakim, all right, uh, he, he reigned for 11 years and he died in Jerusalem. He was followed by his son Coniah, again, who went by Jeconiah and, or Jehoiachin. Reign la- his reign lasted only three months. Nebuchadnezzar took him to Babylon, where he eventually died. The last king of Judah was Zedekiah who reigned 11 years, and he saw the kingdom and Jerusalem destroyed by Babylon. He was blinded, and he was taken to Babylon to die. So Jeremiah made known the truth about these last four kings. But then he made a promise about the Messiah, the righteous branch, who would one day reign and bring justice to the land. He mentions that. We'll see that in chapter 23. But here's God's message dealing first with Jehoiakim in verses 1 through 9. So let's look at chapter 22 in verses 1 through 9. Thus says the Lord, Go down to the house of the king of Judah, and there speak this word, and say, Hear the word of the Lord, O king of Judah, you who sit on the throne of David. 
you and your servants and your people who enter these gates. Thus says the Lord, execute judgment and righteousness and deliver the plundered out of the hand of the oppressor. Do no wrong and do no violence to the stranger, the fatherless or the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. For if you indeed do this thing, then shall enter the gates of this, uh, of this house, riding on horses and in chariots, accompanied by servants and people, kings who sit on the throne of David. But if you will not hear these words, I swear by myself, says the Lord, that this house shall become a desolation. For thus says the Lord to the house of the king of Judah, You are Gilead to me, the head of Lebanon, yet I surely will make you a wilderness. Cities which are not inhabited, I will prepare destroyers against you, every one with his weapons. They shall cut down your choice cedars and cast them into the fire. And many nations will pass by this city, and everyone will say to his neighbor, Why has the Lord done so to this great city? Then they will answer, Because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord their God and worshipped other gods and served them. So here in verses 1 through 9, King Zedekiah is warned about, is warned here about Jerusalem's fall. The king had sent messengers to Jeremiah, but Jeremiah went personally to the palace to give them God's message. Zedekiah was sitting on David's throne in David's house of cedar, and he was enjoying the benefits from the covenant that God had made with David. And yet the king Zedekiah was not serving the Lord like David had served him. So Jeremiah repeated what he had preached before in chapter 21, verse 12, when he said, execute judgment in the morning and deliver him who was plundered out of the hand of the oppressor. It was time for the king and his partners to obey God's law and to carry out justice in the land. But they were taking advantage of the poor and the needy. They were killing innocent people, and they were refusing to repent of their sins and turn to God. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, there's a double meaning for the word house. It can mean a literal building, like the temple that David wanted to build for God, and the royal house, or the dynasty, or the family that God established through David by his gracious covenant with David. These same two meanings are mixed together in Jeremiah's message. God will destroy both the royal palace, the literal palace, and the dynasty or the family of David because of the sins of the wicked kings. The royal house of cedar would be cut down, Jeremiah says, and it would be burned as the Babylonian soldiers made their way through the city. They said like men who were chopping down trees in the forest of Lebanon. In the meantime, Jeremiah seems to be giving the leaders a small window of opportunity He was saying, if they would repent and do what's right, God would deliver the city and establish David's throne. He says here in verse 4, For if indeed you do this thing, then shall enter the gates of this house, riding on horses and in chariots, accompanied by servants and people, kings who sit on the throne of David. But their hearts were hard. They wouldn't listen. So the ruins of Jerusalem would be a reminder of their wickedness. And then in verses 12 through, uh, 10 through 12, now here's a message concerning Shalom. Again, usually also called Jehoahaz. Verses 10 through 12. And he goes on to say, Weep not for the dead, nor bemoan him. Weep bitterly for him who goes away. 
For he shall return no more, nor see his native country. Verse 11. For thus says the Lord concerning Shalom, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, who reigned instead of Josiah, his father, who went from this place. He shall not return here anymore, but he shall die in the place where they have led him captive and shall see this land no more. The death of godly King Josiah 10 years earlier had made the people you know, very sad. They were very sorrowful when he died. Even Jeremiah had written a lamentation, a grieving word expressing his great sorrow, honoring the death of King Josiah. In 2 Chronicles 35, 25, we read this from the New Living Translation. The prophet Jeremiah composed funeral songs for Josiah. And to this day, choirs still sing these sad songs about his death. These songs of sorrow have become a tradition and are recorded in the book of laments or the book of lamentations. But there was no hope for the nation in looking back and weeping over things of the past. Nor was there hope in trusting that King Shalom would be released from Egypt where he was prisoner of Pharaoh Necho. So there seemed to be uh, Shalom's supporters, those who supported him, there in Judah that put their hopes on his return and maybe some of the false prophets who encouraged them to expect that he was coming back. But Jeremiah told them that Shalom would never come back to Judah, but he would die in Egypt. So instead of looking to an empty past or trusting in an overthrown leader, the people should have been dealing with their problems at that time and looking to the Lord to help them. Josiah was dead. Shalom was banished. So it was time for Zedekiah to follow the example of his godly father, Josiah, and lead the people back to worshiping the true and living God. And then in verse 13, there's a message concerning Jehoiakim, one of the, the, the third of the four kings, also known as Eliakim. Look at verse 13. Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his chambers by injustice, who uses his neighbor's service without wages and gives him nothing for his work. Men were getting rich, but they were getting rich the wrong way. The poor, they weren't being paid. Jeremiah's toughest words were for Jehoiakim because he was the most heartless and wicked of all the kings who ruled during Jeremiah's lifetime. King Jehoiakim, he was cold-hearted. He didn't care about his people's misery. And in a time of great need, he carelessly and wastefully spent money on a palace made out of cedar wood that he built just to satisfy his own pride. But... In order to do this, he forced his own people to work for nothing. He didn't pay them. And he caused innocent people to be condemned just so that he could get his hands on their belongings. He also killed the prophets who spoke out against his unrighteousness. And he used every kind of lawless violence to get what he wanted. Look at verses 14 and 15 now. Who says I will build myself a wide house with spacious chambers and cut out windows for it, paneling it with cedar and painting it with vermilion or a red color? Shall you reign because you enclose yourself in cedar? Did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Then it was well with him. So during a time of worldwide disaster, Jehoiakim was more concerned about building his nice, big, beautiful, spacious palace. 
He was more concerned about this, this roomy, luxurious palace than he was about building a righteous kingdom for the Lord and the people. And he used unpaid Jewish slaves to get this work done, which was against the law. It was against the law to hold back wages or to enslave fellow Jews. So the nation was going down fast. It was dying while the king was admiring his beautiful, spacious palace. He was looking at the beautiful rooms, the nice big windows, the the decorated cedar paddling on the walls, while he ignored the cries of, of the poor and the needy people. Jeremiah basically told him, do you think it makes you a king because you have a beautiful cedar palace? You know, just because you live in a beautiful cedar palace, you know, uh, that doesn't make you a king. And then Jeremiah reminded him that his father, King Josiah, lived comfortably, but he still did what was fair and right. He was a good king. Josiah defended the poor. He defended the problems of the poor. And that's why God blessed Josiah. But Jehoiakim, he could have cared less about the people. He only thought about himself. It didn't bother him. It didn't worry uh, Jehoiakim that God watched him as he robbed the poor and as he killed the innocent and as he oppressed the righteous just so that he could satisfy his craving to live in luxury, just so that he could live the way that he wanted. Look at verses 16 and 17. He judged the cause of the poor and needy. Then it was well. Was not this knowing me, says the Lord? Yet your eyes and your heart are for nothing but your covetousness, for shedding innocent blood and practicing oppression and violence. Jeremiah says, you know, you, you gave, he gave justice and help to the poor and needy and everything went well for him. Isn't that what it means to know me, says the Lord? Josiah had judged the cause of the poor and the needy, but not Jehoiakim. In Jehoiakim's day, the rich were getting richer, but they were getting rich in the wrong ways. And the poor were, were, were getting poorer. And God had a lot to say about this. Jeremiah called attention to the fact that the rich men were just piling up their wealth. How? By the slave labor of others and step, stepping on the poor. So in their pride, the kings, in their pride, in their arrogance, they built themselves palaces and they lived as if God had forgotten their wicked ways or how they had gotten their wealth. James tells us in chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped upon yourself uh, treasure uh, in the last days. There are two things that God rebukes the rich for. The way they get their money and the way they spend their money. That is, or the way they use it. In verse 16 here, it says, He gave justice and help to the poor and needy. Isn't that what it means to to know me, says the Lord? So God says, hey, Josiah knew me. Josiah knew that he he couldn't be my follower and not be concerned for the poor and the needy. God says that he had a concern for these people. God has a concern for these people. Verses 18 and 19. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. They shall not lament for him, saying, Alas, my brother, 
or alas, my sister. They shall not lament for him, saying, Alas, master, or alas, his glory. He shall be buried with the burial of a donkey, dragged and cast out beyond the gates of Jerusalem. So the Lord now tells Jehoiakim, announces Jehoiakim's condemnation. He says that Jehoiakim is, they're not going to mourn for you. When you die, nobody's going to attend your funeral. Nobody's going to mourn for you. Because he will make himself so obnoxious, so despicable, and so hated by the people because of how he oppressed them. And, and, and because of his cruelty to the people, they will be glad to see him gone. Jeremiah says, nobody's going to honor you. Nobody's going to cry one teardrop for you. Your family members, they won't even mourn for you. They won't even cry out the common expression of grief. Alas, my brother. Alas, my sister. He said his subjects, Jeremiah said, your subjects won't even mourn for you. They're not going to cry out for you like they would normally do uh, for the graves of other leaders. Alas, master, or alas, his glory. You know how sad that, that any would live in such a way that when they die, no one will be sorry to see them go. And verse 19 says, you know what? You're going to be buried like a dead donkey. A donkey that's dragged out of Jerusalem and dumped outside the city gates. Verses 20 through 23. Go up to Lebanon and cry out and lift up your voice in Bashan, crying from Abarim, for all your lovers are destroyed. I spoke to you in your prosperity, but you said, I will not hear. This has been your manner from your youth, that you did not obey my voice. The wind shall eat up all your rulers, and your lovers shall go into captivity. Surely then you will be ashamed and humiliated for all your wickedness. O inhabitant of Lebanon, making your nest in the cedars, how gracious will you be when pangs come upon you like the pain of a woman in labor. Before Jeremiah goes on to talk about the next king, he stops here for a minute to talk about the people of Jerusalem and to describe the terrible situation that they're in. The coming Babylonian army had crushed their allies. He calls them their lovers here in verse 20, who also would be sent into exile. He says, like wind in the desert, the Chaldean soldiers are going to round up Judah's evil leavers and, and they're going to blow them away. The king and his nobles, who are living carefree and extravagantly in their cedar palace there in Lebanon, they would soon suffer terrible pain, he says, like a woman in labor. The Lord, but the Lord had warned them. But they were so sure of themselves and they felt so secure that, hey, they wouldn't listen. We're going to be okay. The false prophets told them that, hey, everything's going to be okay. The peace that the false prophets promised them, it would never come to pass. So it was the end of the city, the end for the city of Jerusalem. Jehoiakim had been hard-headed and hard-hearted. As, you know, Jeremiah said, ever since you were a kid, from your youth, you were hard-headed and hard-hearted. And God warned him, but he wouldn't listen. Because his prosperity was always more important to him than his relationship with God. You know, if you ever get to that place, man, where you find yourself so comfortable, you know, that, that you don't have time for God, it's time to stop and ask, what's more important? My comforts in this life or a close relationship to God? 
Now in verses 24 through 25, here's the message to the fourth king, Coniah. Look at verses 24 through 25. As I live, says the Lord, though, uh, though Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were the signet on my right hand, yet I would pluck you off. And I will give you into the hand of those who seek your life and into the hand of those whose face you fear. The hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and the hand of the Chaldeans. So this message now is concerning Kaniah, also called Jeconiah or Jehoiachin. So here we come now to the very terrible and severe judgment against Kaniah. Now look at the steps of this judgment first. Jeremiah says that God will abandon him. He says in verse 24, I would pluck you off. God says it, and he confirms it with an oath. He says, even if you were the signet ring, like a wedding ring on my finger, even if you were the signet ring on my right hand, I'm going to pull you off. I'm going to take you off. His forerunners, Coniah's forerunners, they had, they had been signets, like, like wedding rings. He might have been one too. Kaniah uh, might have been one too if he would have behaved himself in a worthy manner. But he was degraded and he was corrupted. So God says, I'm going to pluck you off. I'm going to pull you off my hand, my finger. The godly kings of Judah had been like signets or a seal on God's hand, near and dear to God. God had rejoiced in them and he, he made use of them as instruments of his government. Like the prince does, you know, of his signet ring or, or sign. It's a sign of authority and, and power. But Kaniah has made himself totally unworthy of the honor. So the privilege of his birth really wouldn't be a security to him. And in spite of that, God says, I will pluck you off. I will pluck you off. Those who think of themselves as signets, again, sign, which is a sign of approval uh, of God's, uh, on God's right hand, He's saying, don't think you're all that secure, but be watchful. He said, guard your heart so that you're not plucked off. Secondly, the next step in this judgment, the king of Babylon is going to get a hold of Kaniah. People just don't know what enemies and harm is waiting for them or what they expose them to themselves to when they're not living for God. When they remove themselves from God's protection. The Chaldeans here are said to have had it in for Kaniah. They were after him. They wanted him dead. Nothing less than death was going to satisfy their anger. They wanted him so badly that he was afraid of them. Which would make it even more terrible for him to fall into their hands. Especially when it was God himself they gave him into their hands. And if God delivers him to them... Who's going to deliver him from them? Nobody can. 26 through 30. We see the third thing here. The third part of this judgment in verses 26 through 30. He goes on to say, So I will cast you out and your mother who bore you into another country where you were not born, and there you shall die. But to the land to which they desire to return, they shall not return. Is this man, Coniah, a despised, broken idol? A vessel in which is no pleasure? Why are they cast out, he and his descendants, and cast into a land which they do not know? O earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, write this man down as childless, 
a childless and a, a man who shall not prosper in his days, for none of his descendants shall prosper sitting on the throne of David and ruling any more in Judah. He and his family, Kaniah, he and his family are going to be carried to Babylon. They're going, to spend, they're going to spend many hard years of their lives there in a, in a miserable captivity, he and his descendants. In other words, he and all the royal family. Why? Because he didn't, uh, because he didn't have any children of his own when he went into captivity. They're going to be cast out to another country and to a strange country. He said, a country where you weren't born, that's where you're going to be cast out. Nor a country like the one that you were born in. He says, it's going to be a land that you don't even know. A land where you don't know anybody. You know, where you don't know anybody you could talk with. And where they could expect people to be kind to them. So this is the place that they're going to be carried off to. From a land where they were entitled to have power and control, they're going to be taken off to a land where they will, have, where they will be required to serve. And they have no hopes of ever seeing their own country again. Verse 27 says, to the land which they desire to return, there they shall not return. They're going to want to come back, but they're never going to be able to. Why? Because they behaved themselves in an ungodly way when they were in the land that they wanted to be in. So they're never going to see it anymore. So Shalom was carried off to Egypt, all right, the land of the south. Kaniah was carried off to, to, to Babylon, the land of the north. Both of them were carried away far, I mean, way into the boonies, way out there. And they can never expect to meet again. Neither of them would breathe, again, the, the air of the country that they wanted to be in. They'd never be there again because they had abused their authority. And those who abused their authority, they had over others, were, were rightly brought under the authority of others. Those who had been pampered, those who pampered themselves and satisfied their own sinful desires by oppressing others, by living in luxury and being cruel to others, they were justly denied the satisfaction of their, of their innocent desire to see their own native country again. So we can see something pointed out to us in this part of this judgment in verse 26 when it says, Into another country where you were not, both, where you were not born, there you shall die. The Bible says there's a time to be born and a time to die. There's also a place to be born and also a place to die in. We know where we were born, but we don't know where we're going to die. But you know what? That's okay because our God knows. The things that we should be concerned with more than anything else is that we make sure that we die in Christ. And then it will not matter where it is that we die even if it's in a faraway country. The fourth thing that we see in part of this judgment, this shall make him, Kaniah, very mean and despicable in the eyes of all of his neighbors. They shall be ready to say, notice in verse 28, is this man, Kaniah, a despised, broken idol? Yeah, he definitely is. And very corrupted from what he was before. You see, there was a time when he was honorable, even when he was almost idolized, almost worshipped. And the people who had seen his father recently overthrown, they were ready to admire him when they saw him on the throne. But now he's despised, 
He's like a despised and broken idol, you know, which when it was whole, when he was whole, you know, they almost worshiped him. But it's, it's rotten and broken now. He's like a rotten and broken idol. And it's thrown down. It's despised. Nobody respects him anymore. Nobody remembers him anymore. So in closing, what was once idolized is now despised and broken. What was unjustly honored will be justly despised. And, his, and the enemies of God will be the ruin of man. Whatever we idolize, man, it's going to disappoint us. It's going to let us down. And you know, when those things that we idolize and these things we, we, we put so much trust in, one day we'll despise them because they disappoint us. They didn't follow through. There was a time when people took pleasure in him, in Kaniah. But now Kaniah is just a broken vessel, a vessel of dishonor that nobody cares about. Nobody takes pleasure in him anymore. There's no desire for him anymore. And now he's become an unusable tool. or He's unusable, period, for God's service. So those that God has no pleasure in, they will sooner or later become so dishonored that men won't have any pleasure in them. And it says here that he won't leave any children behind. Let, let it be written that, that, that Kaniah was, was, was childless. He won't leave any child, uh, children behind to inherit his honor. And this prediction is, is ushered in with a gloomy uh, notice, introduction notice in verse 29. It says, O earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world listen and look at these judgments that God brought upon these men and these nations and a family that had once been near and dear to God at one time. And now see God giving them fair justice. The thing that we got to see here is that Jeconiah or Kaniah is to be written as childless, verse 30 says. Verse 3 says, let the record show that this man, uh, Jeconiah, was childless. In other words, none of his children shall prosper sitting upon the throne of David. Jeconiah had at least seven children by several wives, according to 2 Kings 24, 15. But none of them would sit on the throne of David. God said that he would treat him like a man that was childless. King Zedekiah, the last king of Judah, saw the Babylonians kill his sons. And he probably died before Kaniah was freed from prison. Which means that Kaniah was the last serving king in David's line. But we do know that Jesus Christ is the son of David. And that one day he's going to restore the blessings of Israel and reign from David's throne. In Matthew's genealogy in chapter 1, it traces Christ's lineage through his legal father Joseph. And even though Kaniah is in that family tree in Matthew 1.11, none of these descendants or his descendants can claim the throne because of their curse that's recorded here in verses 24 through 30. So our Lord gets his Davidic throne rights through his mother Mary, whose lineage is given in Luke's genealogy in chapter 3, verses 21 through 38. So from Abraham to David, the lists are pretty much the same. But from David on, they differ. Luke traced the line through David's son, Nathan, who avoided uh, uh, Coniah, a descendant of Solomon. 
Jesus Christ has every right to David's throne and his future reign is what Jeremiah deals with next in chapter 23. Father, we come before you and Lord, we thank you for your word. And Father, we thank you for, again, just as we saw these kings, God, who, who lived unjustly, Father, who were cruel to the people, God, and, and just had, were just interested in, 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 in living for themselves, God, and, and, and pampering their flesh, God, and, and not having a close relationship with you, Lord, how, how you, you justly so uh, um, took out, again, uh, the same thing they did to others, you did to them, God. And so, Lord, may we uh, learn from this, God, that to, to keep our relationship close to you, to keep it right on, God, not to pamper our flesh, not to be cruel to others or to oppress others, God, but to take care of those who are in need, Father, and those who are poor. And so, Father, may we have a heart like yours, and God, just do the right things, and the Father, maintain our relationship with you, Father, to your glory and for our good. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.